Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we are what's known as a From the Field podcast. Once again, we are broadcasting to you from my high-tech office here on my sumptuous balcony here in Las Vegas, Nevada, the hottest city in the world, except for when we have a dust storm. We take you to those places where you've had those mastermind conversations. You've had those overheards. You've had those inspirations that pop into your mind that are those aha moments that give you that inspiration, that edge, that little piece of wisdom that moves you forward in a way that you weren't expecting. And up until now, we're not even seeing. That's what makes us so unique. That's what makes us so beautiful. And that's the reason why you want to stay with us and be sure to subscribe to your favorite networks. So you get more episodes as we release them. What we're going to discuss today, it sounds like it's going to be generalist, but we're going to hit in on a very few key points that are extremely passionate to me. And just as I was speaking with today's guest, I was getting inspired by some of my own stories, some of my own experiences, some things my clients and my colleagues have experienced and mastered. And it's all about making your business a success and what it takes. The person we have here today is somebody who I have wanted to have on Business Creators Radio for more than a minute now. And I'm so pleased that our schedules have now coincided to make it happen. His name is Shri Chalapa. He is the president and co-founder of Engagedly, which is an Inc. 5000 company. It's people strategy management software redefines performance management, employee engagement, and development to engage, excuse me, enable organizations to build highly engaged, high-performance teams. He spent over 20 years leading organizations in technology and consulting in the United States with two business exits. He's a Forbes contributor, a top 50 tech visionary, and he's recognized as a Titan 100 in the St. Louis Business District. Sri Chalapa, come on in. The weather's fine. Well, thank you. Thank you, Adam. I really, really appreciate uh, being on the show. There's, Look forward to having this discussion. There is so much more I could say about you. I've read off just the first half of your official bio, and I'm already so in awe that I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here. And this is my episode. So what we like to do here is I gave some basic information from your bio about who you are, what your contributions are, a little bit about your background. But before we dive in to some of the points we discussed in the green room, what I'd like to do is first ask this question of all of our hosts. Tell us a bit about something or what has inspired you and guided you to bring you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Um, you know, I think what excites me 
is is learning and discovering new things and exploring the potential that we are all given uh, by the universe. You know, whether you believe in God or not, there, there's a potential that we have. And I feel if you don't live up to the potential, you're really doing yourself a disservice. And I, th- I feel that's really what drives me, you know, keeps me up at night and also gets me up in the morning and gets going. Right. So I kind of feel the same way. I am not sure if you or any of our listeners believe in reincarnation, but here's the point I like to make about it. Let's say you do believe in reincarnation. Do you know for sure what your past life was about or your past lives? Do you know what your upcoming life is going to be about? Do you know who you'll be, what you'll be? Point being is, even if you believe in reincarnation, you only get to go through this one one time. So what stands in your way from making the most of it and being a maximum service to your community market and audience so that the world is a better place by you being part of it? Right. Um, fear, right? It's just mm-hmm. fear. And, and, and a lot of it is in your head. Uh, you know, I came from India, right? I grew up in India until I was 21, uh, went to undergrad there and came here for my master's. One thing, you know, it's an advantage and a disadvantage, obviously, you know, growing up in India, you don't get as much, as many opportunities as you get here. Uh, at least I didn't when I was growing up. It's right. Things are quite different now. What I realized after coming here is that there are so many more opportunities to take risks without having to go to the poor house necessarily. And when I say a poor house, I mean, des- you know, being destitute on the street, homeless and hungry, yeah. Unless you are really, um, you know, are, are uh, out of it. And most of the homeless people, as we know, are usually have some kind of a mental health issue and not necessarily because they don't want to work. Um, so I think what the fear that we have is that I won't have my house or I won't be able to feed my family or I won't be able to feed myself or I look like a failure to my friends and family. A lot of those things are really in your head. I, I would say 90% of the time, you can figure out how to feed yourself and have a shelter for the most part. You know, even the people who go through bankruptcies relatively have a really good life compared to the people in other parts of the world, right? So a lot of the fear, I believe, is in your head. So I always ask the question, what is the worst that can happen? Paint the worst picture in your head. What is the worst that can happen? Your business can miserably fail, right? Maybe you you, uh, end up owing the banks millions of dollars there, you can obviously file for bankruptcy you can get out of it and if you are have if you do have some marketable skills you can always go and get a job right. and that's really what i was thinking about right you know i had a graduate degree uh, in business and i'm an engineer by uh, education and i knew the worst that can happen is i can go completely broke but i didn't Sail or metaphor using, I'm, I didn't actually sail, but I flew, you know, 11,000 miles to not take a chance. And I think we owe it ourselves and, and the universe to take a chance to unleash your potential. And I believe if you go through the exercise of what is the worst that can happen, and if that's acceptable to you, you should do it. In my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, I pose a different type of question that speaks to some of the th- same things we're covering here today. And here's, here's something that I urge all 
entrepreneurs, all business creators, all people who work in corporate environments to ask as they go through their day, as they perform the functions that they're doing, uh, whatever it is that they do to run their business, whatever, is continually, as you go through your processes, ask the following question. What would happen if we didn't do this at all? It has a funny way of working. It helps to surface those things that are either redundant or unnecessary, so you're not wasting your time on them anymore, which is great. It's uncovering why we've always done it that way. And you usually find out, in my experience at least, that it's a permanent intervention to a temporary blip on the radar screen, usually driven by somebody who's wrapped up in their title, who comes storming out of their office, wanting people to see, hey, look, I'm in charge here and I'm going to make something happen. And then he gets saddled with all these ridiculous rules and regulations. At the same time, at the same time, what you also gain is a profound understanding of what is working, what is necessary, what would go wrong if you didn't need or if you didn't do these things and enables you to optimize your efforts so that you get more out of what you're doing. Uh, so it's not something necessarily used for a process of elimination. It's for a process of optimization. And that's part of the reason I love that question so much. So in this current day and age, and I don't think this is going to end anytime soon. I believe this has been brewing since way before the bug started a couple years ago, is we have this thing called the Great Resignation, which I've recently called the great, seen called the Great Reset. Right. So in your work and what you've experienced through going through with your clients, uh, being an entrepreneur, being a business leader yourself, why are people quitting their jobs in such large numbers? Um, there are primarily two major reasons that I have observed and also from reading the different research, you know, Pew Research did a study. Uh, obviously, the number one reason most most people quit is because they're just sick of the job and sick of not getting enough money or paid enough for that. Uh, but if you actually take that money aspect out, because that's always been there for most most organizations uh, that lose people, the biggest reason was lack of growth, lack of flexibility in their work, lack of uh, a sense of purpose in, in their work. And I think what you talked about, right? earlier um, about people doing busy work without really seeing any real progress or positive outcomes, you know, that actually is very frustrating for people. So they want right. to see their work having a meaning and having a outcome. Sometimes it doesn't always work out, right? You may, you may make those hundred phone calls to get a sale and, may, and you may come up empty handed, but you have to do those things to get that. But what yeah. you can learn from it is how, how could I have done those calls differently, or maybe I should have targeted different people, whatever that is, right? But it's still meaningful work to some extent. But right. if you're doing busy work where you're shuffling paper or you're going through the 15th re-edit of the PowerPoint deck, which, you know, you're just changing colors and fonts and, and you know, fixing some bullet points. And, you, and, and after a certain point, you realize you're just at the point of diminishing return. So I think those things are, are some of those things that really drive people crazy. Uh, especially, you know, I used to have a manager that would go through 10 iterations of PowerPoint deck and it wouldn't even matter uh, at the end of the day. So I think those are some other things, you know, and especially as people started working from home, 
and they realized that they need to really reevaluate their life's purpose in many ways you know and so many of them who were in their you know towards the end of retirement quit a lot of the older folks actually left the workforce permanently and, and, and i don't think are coming back um and then a lot of them just left to go to different jobs i don't think everybody quit and stayed home they went to different jobs a lot of them went back to school um right. upscale um and then a lot of the big the biggest hit was in the hospitality restaurants and in the retail sector you know so you can see how target and everybody else has uh, raised their um you know minimum pay that they give it's because they realized that they can't get away with paying people you know close to minimum wage um and and retain them it's a difficult job it cer- it certainly is it certainly is now to me i believe part of it's a reckoning that's been coming for a long time for example right. i can uh, i can relate a personal experience Bef- after i completed mba school uh and before i became a full-time entrepreneur i continued for a couple of years working for the same company that i'd worked for during my mba time i had a full-time job and i pursued my mba full-time and did very well in both of them and after i graduated with my mba i began my journey into entrepreneurship and i didn't know then what i knew now and it took me 2 years to get to the point where i could just jump off and be a full-time entrepreneur so in the meantime i got diagonally promoted etc 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 so Let's go to uh I believe it was a Thursday. Uh, but I do know the date. It was December 5th, 2002, so almost 20 years ago. And this was I was living in Pennsylvania at the time, which has a temperate climate, and around that time of year weird things can happen. So the weird thing that happened that day is we had a freak snowstorm that dumped 8 inches on everybody that wasn't even forecasted, uh which led to uh you know, obviously they didn't have an opportunity to clear the roads properly, and then it started in the evening. So I had a job at you know my job at the time I commuted nearly an hour between where I was living and where the job was and it wasn't possible for me to get out to go to that job. Now in the meantime I part of my job involved event planning and we had an event going on that day nearby where the office is located and somebody had to intervene and contact like 60 people to notify them that the meeting was canceled obviously because a lot of people couldn't make it and to do logistics for rescheduling and i was the only person there who had the access to do it so what did i do i turned on my laptop at home i uh pulled out my cell phone i did what i had to do i told my supervisor what was going on he couldn't get into the office either uh, at the time and uh i thought okay this is no big deal well queue about an hour and a half later where some pompous ass c suite asshole and i and i say that with about as little endearment as i can come up with cuz that's still my feeling almost 20 years later comes storming out of his office pounding his chest reminding people of his titles and saying we don't have a work at home policy and they actually forced me to find my way into the office so they could reprimand me right how do you think i felt after that that's crazy you can't yeah. get away with it yeah anymore. well well what i well what i did is uh, see i was one of those people that actually kept their employee handbook and i and i went and got it and i said um so show me where in this book that you either do or don't have this policy at all 
it wasn't there. So what did I do here? My supervisor was aware of the situation and there's nothing that said I couldn't. So what, what, where, where's this, where's this coming from? Now I didn't say the other part of that sentence, which is, um, get back in your goddamn office windbag and pretend like you're running the company. Nobody wants to hear from you. Uh, but I didn't quite say that because I hadn't yet gotten to the point where <laughs> I could do entrepreneurship full time. But I'll tell you, seriously, that was going through my mind. Now, I say these things the way I say them because I want our listeners to feel a raw, visceral reaction. These are the types of reactions people have in their minds, regardless of what the words that come out of their mouths. And these things that happen in their mind are the actual phrases that are going to continue to reverberate as their opinions and their views crystallize, take hold, and begin to influence their actions, their behaviors, and their enthusiasm. So would it surprise you a lot, Shri, to find out that not too long after that, I printed out a copy of my job description, kept it in my desk drawer. And anytime I had any question as to whether or not what I was being asked to do was within the job description, I pulled it out to check. Mm. Do you want, do you want now, do you want those attitudes, those behaviors and that way of looking at things in your workplace? No, that's no, you don't. No, you don't. And, and the, and the moment, and the moment that job descriptions out, that means two things. Number one, it means they're it means they're punching the clock. You don't want a clock puncher. You want innovators. You want people who go above and beyond and feel good doing so. And number two, they're now becoming aware of what their job description says because they may be using that as reference material when they update their resume to look for another job. Huh. Wow. So when somebody has their job description out and it's got wrinkles on it, little scribblies when somebody had to check their pen to make sure it was working, uh, rings from their coffee mug and things like that, your organization's in trouble. So fast forward to 2020 when the bug hit and no longer could somebody come storming out of their office, pounding their chest and repeating their job title saying, look at me, I'm in charge, uh, ranting about work from home policies. Now it was, you cannot be in your office. If you want to stay in business, you will have work from home. That's it. And then the people working for the companies discovered that, yeah, all those statistics, all those studies, turns out they turns out they were largely accurate that we waste so much time on commuting. We have so many expenses on having to travel to a job that we may need to be available and punched in for eight hours, but that doesn't mean we need to be sitting by our desk for eight hours. So this work from home thing, I'm logged in from nine to five, but that's not going to stop me from doing my laundry. And I'm still going to deliver the same, if not better value and if I'm working a customer service job and there's nobody in the queue right now and I want to go take a 15-minute walk, well, I'll just make sure I have my phone on me. If it rings, I answer. If the live chat alert comes up, I'm in. What's the difference? And so when these companies said, okay, I know it's been fun, but it's time to come back to work, they could say, 
oh, uh, yeah, that's interesting about me coming back to commute again. Um, I'm speaking with your competitor right now who's offering me a $5,000 signing bonus, a 10% salary increase, and they say I can work from home. So what's it going to be? You have three minutes to decide. So yeah. Matt, so now I want to get your thoughts on. I mean, I'm I'm speaking what a thousand articles on you know Forbes, uh, Inc. and other sites like that have pontificated upon. But from an employer or a leader's perspective, seeing that things have gotten to that place where rather than being able to tell their employees where to work, they're now being told by their employees, you either let me work from wherever I want or I quit and you have three minutes to decide. What does that do for leadership? And what can leaders embrace to help them maximize the positive outcome of that? Yeah, so I think we've known for from all the research and even empirically as well, that the leaders who succeed are the ones who build a great level of trust and empower their employees. We heard these words over and over again for years, right? But in a tight market where jobs were maybe not that plenty, you know, let's say three years ago, um, you could get away with that. Not, not anymore, right? So the leaders where they were able to build that level of trust with the employees, they're able to empower the employees and treat them like adults are the ones who succeeded in, in keeping their employees. And the, and the employees and the employers who had a very dictatorial, authoritarian approach who didn't do that are the ones who suffered the most, right? And I think that's really what now uh, the situation where employees are like, you know what? I don't want to work for an organization like that. I don't want to work for a manager, um, you know, who doesn't trust me, who right. doesn't empower me, who doesn't think that I'm an adult and I can make the best decision because what, what does it matter if, if I'm doing laundry at 3 p.m., if I can get my work done or I have to yeah. pick up my kid from school or if I have to feed my child at lunch because the kid is, you know, is, is homeschooled right now. Yeah, candidly, you know, yeah, things- yeah, yeah, if I may, just to make your point, um, sometimes right before we begin these episodes, I put a load of laundry in thinking, it, you know, I'm going to be here 45 minutes to an hour. Well, that's just enough time for the cycle to run. I'll go, and as soon as we hang up, I'll go change. Yeah, just that's just yeah. that level of thinking. So I'm getting something done right now that otherwise I would have to do outside of the 50 hours a week you spend on a 40-hour-a-week job, and I'm being productive on two different fronts, and neither one is diminishing from the other. Right. right. Yeah. Because you should be measured on your on your performance, not on the time you spend punching your keyboard. Right. Precisely. Right? Yeah. So I think that's, uh, I mean, it's good for pe- people like us who yeah. really focus more on the, on the outcomes. They focus on the goals and the focus on, and on trust and building that level of empowerment. Because ultimately, if you are an adult and you know what's expected of you, you'll figure out a way to get it done. Uh, whether you have to work you know, in the evening because you are busy with something else during the day or you have a doctor's yep. appointment or you, or you have to take care of your kids or whatever that is, right? Yeah. Because, you know, you still have to live your life. You can't take away that from, like, from an individual because at the end uh-huh. of the day, you got to treat them as humans and adults. Yeah. Uh, just an example that so many people uh, go through and 
overly structured workplaces where the structure may not necessarily need to be there. Let's say that your tooth dies. Now, what I mean by that is when your tooth goes through that process where you know a root canal is the next step where you have that constant throbbing pain. Well, if you have to go through requesting time off and being part of a of a work group or something like that, then you have to go through all of the, well, can't you just see your dentist on the weekend? Or uh, do you understand what you taking time off to deal with personal stuff is going to do to your coworkers? Give me a break. So in my case, if that were to happen to me right now, I could, um, let's see, it's uh, early afternoon here. I could at least theoretically be in an endodontist chair today getting this taken care of have my first Vicodin in three hours from now and be on my way to recovery. Mm-hmm. So when people see me doing things like working odd hours or I'm sitting at the lounge on a Saturday evening and it's obvious that I'm working on one of my presentations for my, for my, for my mastermind collective and they're saying, man, what are you doing working on a Saturday? Don't you have any life? Well, that, you know, that's what I remind them is, uh, is I can take care of things when you get taken care of. And, and not only entrepreneurial ventures, but also what I think of some of the more progressive companies. For example, I used to get asked, well, when are your office hours? And when people ask me when my office hours are, that's a sign that they plan to nag me to no freaking end. <laughs> so my answer, my answer there is very simple is, um, Okay, so for our projects, um, you know, let's be clear on deadlines, goals, expectations, and when these things are supposed to happen, what the dependencies are, what each person's contribution is, so we make it on time. And as far as when to reach me, all my calls are scheduled. You have the link. So why do I need office hours? I'll come through when I say I do, and if I don't, I'll get ahead of it, and I'll, and I'll work it out with you. And uh, as far as uh, having a conversation with me, uh, if you're one of my VIP clients, you can Skype me. If uh, for everybody else, you can go to www.schedulewithadam.com and put yourself in any time. I don't need to be here from nine to five for that. And so the reason I bring this up is this is a great point to transition into startups. Startups are innovative. They're revolutionary. They want to challenge the paradigms. So You've been involved in a lot of startups. I mean, you've been in business entrances, business exits. Mm-hmm. In your many years of experience, Street, what does it take to make a startup successful? Oh, boy. I think uh, there's so many things that play into a startup being successful. You know, luck obviously plays a big part. Um, but I think the biggest differentiator between a startup that is successful and that's not so successful is how adaptive you are and and how much perseverance you have right so a lot of people go into startup with the idea right there are a lot of great ideas excellent ideas out there i hear an idea a day from different people right so the difference it really comes down to execution of that idea right i mean if you watch any hollywood movies or any movie most of the stories or if you want to call them ideas are not that dissimilar, but how you execute on that romantic comedy or that horror or that uh, you know, coming of age story 
really is 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 the differentiator between a good movie and a terrible movie right right or a great movie for that matter i'm so, with you and I, and i think that's the same story with startups it's how you execute on that idea um for example we are in a very very competitive space right hr tech uh we have software for employee performance management goal setting employee learning and development employee engagement these things have been around for 25 30 plus years at this point yes uh oracle sap workday people saw i mean these companies have been around for a long time and we are still successful because we got to figure out where have these companies failed some of their customers and what can we offer to those customers that can be valuable and it's not necessarily a new idea it's repurposing that idea into something that's more valuable and that's more that speaks directly to those uh, buyers that want our service and want our product um and yeah. that comes down to execution so i think you can you know you can start uh, if, for example if you want to start a restaurant in a mexican restaurant for example let's just give it an example they're everywhere right but oh, a yeah. good mexican restaurant a bad mexican restaurant really comes out to execution how well do you make those that salsa exactly right? uh-huh. you know and it's the same you got to have salsa in the mexican restaurant you have got to have tacos and you got to have your chips and your burritos and and your and your and your fajitas and what not but how you make them and how do you execute on that and and all that is available it's not like you can go on online and learn how to make a fajita you, everybody can do that Right? Oh, I, all the I, knowledge I, 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 I have a, my friend I have a fajita recipe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you do. It's you it's it, 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 I mean on a scale of 1 to 10 that's about a 0.8 in difficulty. <laughs> exactly. And then why why and why do some Mexican restaurants still shut down? You know, because they're you know their salsa tastes like hunt's ketchup. You know. So yeah. <laughs> you, I'm like dude did you look at there's so many recipes on there why did you not execute on that so that's really what the differentiating differentiating factor is is it comes down to and at the end of the day execution it's not about your idea ideas are everywhere your strategy great ultimately you know do you have the team to execute on it are you checking the results are you talking to your consumers are you learning from them are you learning from your failures and getting better every day those are the things that you know if you are oblivious to the environment around you you're not going to be successful right right i i agree with that entirely and and to and to me also you know i look at uh and I, and this is going to sound a lot like if you've ever seen an episode of bar rescue with john taffer uh, what are two of the, what are two of the things that all of those bar rescues focus on the customer experience and how that increases revenue So the if you look at it from the entrepreneurial space and I'm going to bring this back to startups in like 30 seconds if you want to solve your business problems the fastest and most effective way to do it is to raise your revenues somehow right you yeah pinching pennies is not really going to get you anywhere all it's really going to do is cause you more stress i mean yes be streamlined in your op- operations check all those subscriptions you have once in a while to make sure you actually need them and cancel the ones you don't i get it but uh and uh, you know pay good prices but don't overpay i get that too uh although sometimes overpaying your employees is a good idea because you get more out of them on the back end uh but when it comes to startups to me it's kind of the same thing i've been involved in startups myself i've had and i've had some that have 
become wildly successful. I have one that I'm involved with. It's in the process of really breaking out in its niche right now. And I've also seen some just go absolutely nowhere. Mm-hmm. The ones that are going places and have gone places really began to see that happening when they went into revenue. I'm going to tell one quick story, and this is actually in my book. Um, this one startup I was working with, uh, they would regularly, um, they weren't, now they weren't bringing in any revenue, but they were flying in all their team members for retreats so that they could review PowerPoint presentations with revenue projections, uh, study the colors on the logo again, uh, go through a comprehensive review of the websites and all this other. And then there were constant meetings. Uh, it got to the point with this one client where I had to go to them and say, look, I may need to raise my retainer on you because the amount of time I'm spending sifting through all this email hell that your account generates just to figure out if there's anything that actually pertains to me. Uh, now then this client or this startup, well, they are my client and they're a startup, uh, were a startup. They made a partnership with somebody to deliver a paid course that they marketed to their existing list. Cause they already had subscription assets like newsletters, webinars, and other lead generators. So they had a list. Um, and then this partner who had a curriculum. They put two and two together, did a revenue share and announced that this was available for purchase and somebody signed up for it. In the end, 20 people signed up for it and it was high ticket. So that was significant revenue. But the moment they got their first person to register for that course and pay that $599, the shift in the culture went straight from planning, meeting, endless emails, blah, 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 to concern about the logistics of making sure that this event went really well, planning ahead for any contingencies on the event itself, and looking for more people to sign up and give them the money. In fact, there were cases where the head of the startup would email us and say, hey, do you think we should have a status meeting? And the replies would just come right back in. Uh, no, we can't have a meeting right now. We're working on the event. And then about a week later, they suggested maybe we should do a retreat. And they said, no, we can't come to, we can't come to do a retreat because we're so busy with, uh, with making you money that we can't take three days off from our lives to do the retreat. Right. That's how dramatic the change was. Get somebody to sign on the line that is dotted or fill out the credit card form that is secure and watch those changes happen. Now, on the other hand, I've seen, I I, uh, was affiliated with a startup that just disappeared because they spent half their time agonizing over how long, how, how long was appropriate for you to respond to a text message from somebody else in the startup. And then they acquired office space, which was completely, not a good thing to do, in my opinion, because they weren't making any money yet. And, uh, and uh, they were asking their, their startup partners, all of whom were entrepreneurs who had their own businesses, say, can you come down to the office and work? It's like, for what? So we can have more meetings about text messages? Uh, no. Mm-hmm. That, one, yeah. that one, ironically, later turned into a very prosperous business when the founder took his same curriculum and relaunched it with a different mindset where it was all about 
I'm going to put up a landing page, offer my course, and ask people to buy. And it exploded. And I bring that up just to make the point that you can have the same person with a different mindset make all the difference in the world for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the key here really is to, is to just go live already. Yeah. <laughs> go live already. It doesn't have to be perfect. In fact, no, it's, in fact it's never going to be perfect. When I created the podcast reach system and I put it on the market a year and a half ago, I did a pilot program with two VIPs. I thought I knew everything. Boy, did I learn a few things. And what was great about it is when subsequent reaches came in, it was an even better program for them, and I was able to raise my rates. Right. Because only by working with a customer can you find out what is really going to serve that customer. You can only guess through surveys and asking people, but having somebody haven't given you money with an expectation of service and value in return, that's where you're going to find out. Right. So the next thing is funding. Uh, competing in a competitive space without large funding. There, I mean, yeah, I know some startups go through seed funds and different rounds of funding and everything before they officially open the doors, but that's not available for a lot of us. So what do we do? Well, it's a difficult question to answer. Um, you know, you have to launch somehow. Yeah. You need to get, get enough funding to launch. You know, don't try to build a perfect product because it doesn't exist. But go ahead and launch, you know, try to find a friendly customer or two that it can build your product around. I see a lot of startups doing this mistake. It's a classical mistake that sometimes are successful, but most of the times they are not, is they try to build a product in the vacuum. I, I suggest always is that if you can find one paying customer that can, even if it's a little, little amount, that you can build your product with, that's the best way to get started, you know? And, it, and usually... If you're building a product in vacuum, then you really haven't identified, truly identified the pain point because there's no customer or anybody you know who's willing to pay for something like that. If you can find one customer who can pay for something like that, where you can co-opt with them, uh, maybe even do some revenue share for future sales if, you, if, if that entices them. But if you, don't, if you can't find one like that, then really it, it's, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's a problem because you have not proven that the, point, that the problem even exists at this point. Yeah, so I would say that's one way to start. You know your uh, your your funding uh, or your process. The second thing is, you know, with the world of uh, where we are today with the labor market, you know, it's global, right? You can get on Fiverr or Upwork or any of these other um, you know freelance marketplaces and find some freelancers to do a lot of the work who are specialists in that area. You know, you can get a website developer to build your website. For probably three four hundred dollars in oh, some, yeah. some somewhere in, in you know in Malaysia or India or somewhere like that, right? And you can get somebody to build your mobile app for a few thousand dollars, um, and then go and then launch, right? And you can get a lead gen person out of somewhere. You know, I I've worked with people in Bangladesh and in Colombia and a place like that who can get you a lead list of two thousand people in your ICP, uh, which is your ideal customer profile, and for a few hundred bucks. You know, and then get to work. So you don't necessarily need to have an office or hire 10 people or 20 people to get started. And you could be doing this while you're sleeping because they are they're awake in their time zone as well. Yeah, so there are that's, a lot of ways to go yep. around it. 
Uh huh. Yep. I've worked with I've worked with people on opposite sides of the globe, and the uh, the the only thing that I would consider a drawback to that, and I don't even really call it a drawback. I just call it an adjustment for success. Is if I needed to meet with them, I had to do it at night. So, but that wasn't a big deal for me because I'm a natural night owl. So if my person in the Philippines or India, or whatever, needs to meet at 11 p.m. my time, I'm down for it. Yeah, or you can do it early morning. I'm an early morning guy, so I do 5.30, 6 a.m. call. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That works very well, too. Yeah, you just look at how the time zones overlap. You'll find a place. Yeah, yeah. The hard problem is when you do a call with somebody in Middle East and also do a call with somebody in Europe and do a call with somebody in Australia, then <laughs> then you can't sleep. And yeah, the, yeah. That, that's that. that's why in my business consulting work, I use the word asynchronous virtual teams. They right. will, they are unlikely to synchronize in what we call the traditional sense. This is right. where this is where project management software becomes essential, and also uh, going along with the project management software, a rigid adherence to the processes for managing projects. And allowing things to get screwed up if somebody doesn't hold up their end to crystallize for everybody how important it is that they check off that their tasks were done and hand off their part of it to the next person in the right way. Exactly. And there are a lot of free tools out there. I mean, you can use Trello, which is free. Basecamp is really cheap. So you yeah. don't have to go and purchase yeah, a very expensive You got tool. Trello, you got Basecamp, you got Monday, you have Teamwork. And, uh, and just very quickly, I covered this in detail with one of my other guests. But as far as which project management software is right for you, um, pick the one that fulfills your basic needs right now. Basic needs. Uh, there may right. be some wish list items that are not included in that particular one because very rarely is something off the shelf going to be exactly what you need. So you may need to adjust your process a little bit to fit the machine. Do that. It's important that it be easy to use, that it fulfill your key objectives, and it be fun. I cannot emphasize that last piece enough because if it's dreary, if it's irritating, if it's annoying, if it's a hassle, people won't do it. And you'll find yourself making allowances for the process to not be followed so you don't lose the people. You don't want that. It's got to be fun where they get excited about doing it. If you achieve that, then it's good. And as long as you meet that, whatever project software you choose is the right one. And if your business gets to a point later on where you have a different set of needs and a different set of capabilities and a different set of teams, whatever, just do another one. There's no, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of them out there for a reason. And, what, and many of them are free. Yeah. But are really cheap. Yeah. Start with something free or really cheap, as long as it fulfills those bullet points. And uh, when, you, when you need the enterprise version later on, just get it. Yeah, and I and this and this is another place where I see startups get stuck is endless internal debates over what project management software should we use. Meanwhile, they're not even doing projects. <laughs> so another suggestion I have is try doing a couple projects without the software, and that'll show you real quick where the gaps are. So that's how that's how I look at that. Um, so this gets to data. And this is going to be an open-ended question, so I'm going to count on you to sort of fill this in a bit. Um, how do you prioritize your business based on data you receive? So first of all, tell us about the data itself and then what the prioritization process is. 
Well, there's a lot of data in a SaaS world that we look at. You know, SaaS KPIs, uh, you can find them online. There's yep. plenty of data out there. Um, you know, we look at uh, two things primarily. You know, one in the revenue side, you know, we look at what is the deal volume or lead volume and how many of them are converting to, a, to an actual opportunity, how many of them are converting to an actual client and look at that whole funnel and look at the conversion rates across the entire funnel look at the sources across where this where those deals are coming in you know if it is and then understand where exactly it's costing you more to get a client versus where it is cheaper so for example we know for a fact that uh, you know spending a dollar spent on seo and website traffic is worth way more than a dollar spent on google ads right uh, because it's just so much more expensive to do that so we can do that analysis on the revenue side and know that um, the second thing we look at is on the retention side, which is I'm trying to understand which clients stay with us longer, which clients don't, and why is that? So we always do, an, or at least we try to always do an exit interview with every client who leaves us to understand why they left, what we could have done differently to prevent it. And in, in some cases, we could have done something differently, but in most cases, they were just not a good fit, or they outgrew us, or they got acquired, or they had a massive budget cut, and we were just not a critical piece of software for them in that budget cut exercise, especially during COVID, the initial months of COVID, uh, you know, we obviously saw quite a bit of churn. So that those are the two things we look at, and that's the feedback we, we pass back to the product and to the marketing and sales team so that we can optimize those processes. Uh, so those are the two things to really key in from a SaaS perspective. You know, every business is different. So I think, you know, it might depend, de- depend on uh, what your business is. But at the end of the day, it's all about revenue optimization and client attention. Yeah, I think that thing has everything to do with it. And that actually kind of goes back to that question I asked earlier. What would happen if we didn't do this at all? And it also brings up that point of launch already, damn it. Because where right. else are you going to get the data? You're not going to get any data. You're going to, yeah. you can learn swimming by reading a book. Yeah. Get, get somebody to sign on the line that is dotted, fill out the credit card form that is secure, get a paying customer where there is an expectation that you're going to deliver a value and a result. And you'll get lots of data in a big hurry. You'll find out what's going to keep them staying and what's going to get them going. And I reversed that on purpose just for a pattern interrupt. So now, Sri, what I want to do is I want to get a little bit more into the personal aspect of making your business success and dealing with startups and retaining and and energizing people and yourself. So Like many entrepreneurs, and I've seen a bit of your story, I know that you are a very driven person. I know that you have a lot of things on the go. And the idea of a 14-hour workday is not a big deal to you. So Mm -hmm. how do you pull it off and uh, maintain your physical and mental fitness? If I do say so myself, that's a pretty attractive headshot you have. So, I mean, I can see how you glow. I can see how you're in good shape. I can see how... Uh, there's a, there's a pretty healthy machine there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, 14 hours is not necessarily desirable. It's just a, a fact of life right now for, uh, you know, running a startup, but I will say, uh, focusing on yourself is the number one thing, right? Um, so I, I have these three things I focus on sleep, diet, exercise, and in that order. So yeah. I prioritize sleep. I make sure I get seven hours of sleep 
most days i end up sleeping between six and a half and seven but you know uh, seven is my ideal spot where i know i'm mentally alert and i'm and i'm highly productive uh, and i'm focused and i'm making a lot of decisions every day and sometimes you get the decision fatigue and you have to be sharp to do that um the second thing is diet you know which is not eating overeating especially is very very important because you know when you're overeating when you are fatigued after the meal you shouldn't be fatigued or having this food coma after a meal you should be energized after the meal so right. try to eat a lot of lot of vegetables and try to stay focused i'm predominantly vegetarian which yeah be- be- hey vegetable recipes are easy i'm i'm vegan myself i think you just said you're vegetarian but yeah um Yeah, your vegetables are very important. Uh and uh if you want to talk about simple recipes that you actually have to work to screw up, that's a great one. Yeah, and and the thing is you can't uh I mean you can't I always said is you cannot get overweight by eating salad. You don't it doesn't matter how much salad you eat. You just can't. Yes. You can't get obese by eating over overeating salad. But you know, but for example, one of my favorite cuisines is Vietnamese. You always feel fresh after eating a, a Vietnamese meal versus Oh yeah. Let's, let's say a lot of cheesy Mexican meal, for example. Yeah. Uh, and I indulge sometimes in those things as well, but uh, so you but you know, you need you you know how you feel, you need to make a mental note of that so that you know, you're not feeling like that every day. Um and then exercise, you know, I exercise almost every day. Actually, some days I exercise twice. because if i am mentally fatigued i just go to the gym or i go for a run um and uh i think in the last 6 7 months i may have missed maybe a week of exercise yeah um so i'm always uh trying to get even if it's 20 minutes you don't have to be 45 minutes just get your shoes on you know like james clear talks about that atomic habits you know if you're wearing your shoes and going to the gym even if you work out for 5 minutes is still a boat in that direction um So that those are three things I focus on and if you add up those together they don't really take a lot of time you know you you know you can make 7 hours of sleep on a, on a daily basis you can decide to stock your fridge with vegetables and salads and tofu for protein and lentils and whatnot um and you can go to the gym for 20 minutes you know i i yeah. I, i think if you say you don't have time to go to the gym i say bullshit it's because you didn't prioritize it you know there's always 20 minutes you can find And there if you don't have there, 20 minutes, there, make it 20 minutes and sacrifice something else. Yeah, there, there, yeah, there are 20, there are 24 hour gyms everywhere. And if you don't have access to a gym for whatever reason, uh, so I'm going to forestall the people say, I can't make it to the gym. Well, you know, I bet you there's a park nearby. Or there's YouTube videos on 15 minute hit or Tabata's or there are all these different you know channels on youtube that you can sometimes i get stuck in a hotel room and i don't have an option and I, i'll i'll just turn on my youtube and then do a 15 minute hit uh, workout you know or yeah. do 50 50 pushups and 50 jumping jacks you know maybe that, that takes 5 minutes yeah just get blood blood yeah. rushing you know sometimes and sometimes it's just the basic things you don't always have to you know, work on your squats or your kettlebells or anything like that it can just be a matter of uh, do some pushups do some jumping jacks do a little jog uh even just a brisk walk can sometimes make all the difference uh, absolutely. absolutely yeah i yeah i can put in the occasional long day myself and one of my secrets is the fact that my business is based on a laptop mm-hmm. see when i see when i buy laptops i buy state of the whatever is absolute state of the art at that time and then i treat i treat it like it's my newborn first I I treat it like it's my newborn firstborn child. 
in terms of how delicately I handle it and how clean I keep it. Because my laptop is my lifeblood. It gets me to everything in my business. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I can pick that thing up, put it in a bag and carry it somewhere is the other key. Uh, if I have a long stretch ahead of me, I will change my physical location a few times throughout the day. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm in my maybe I'm in my home office for a while. Maybe I'm in my living room on the couch for a while. Right now I'm out of my balcony. Uh, I have a lounge I go to a lot of days where it's a different atmosphere. And I also have a secret place I go when I really don't want to be found. That's another type of hangout type place I don't tell anybody about. It's the it's the elusive office number four that only my assistant knows where it is and nobody else does. Uh, not mm. even not even my family knows where it is. So. Um, So the reason I do that is because just the effort of, and I say effort in terms of how it uh, generates kinetic energy, of physically picking up and moving to another place, the combination of walking and driving resets your mind. Being in a different atmosphere accesses different parts of your brain. So I have one place I go where I really need creativity. I have another place I go where I really need focus. I have a third place I go when what I really want to do is network online because different, different atmospheres and different environments are more or less conducive to that. So I go where I need to be to access what I need. Right. right. And at the, at the end of 12 hours, it doesn't really feel like I worked much at all. It felt like I actually felt like I had a rich full day, even though most of it was me on my laptop. Yeah. Yeah, even the five-minute walk between your meetings or between your different projects you're working on is a huge um, game changer because it gives you that break. You know, absolutely. Yeah, so so it's about balance and accessing your energy. So we're near the top of the hour here, and uh, I just want to highlight what you do a little bit. So for our listeners, uh, you are, of course, the president and co-founder of Engagedly, and uh, that is a platform that uh just i'm reading it off the website that's at uh, it's at engagedly.com it's a people and strategy platform and it works with you to as you say execute performance enable development and growth and engage your people these are the three things that i really like so tell us just a little bit about engagedly and what this can do to help you make your business a success well in this world where employees are everywhere and not necessarily in the office anymore, um, you really want to have a system that helps them stay connected and have a common language, if you will, of work. And so Engagely is really a platform for um, managing all your organizational goals and your people yep. goals and, they, and then connect all of them, right? It's, getting, it, it's, it's what we need to accomplish as a team. And that's your goals, right? And then what also it does is you need to upscale your people. So you need to have, you know, good training. You need to, if you're hiring new people, you need to have a good onboarding program. And, and you can't necessarily bring them into a classroom or have live training all the time. So you, we actually have a learning management system, which allows organizations to pre-record a lot of these trainings and put them in there and assign it to them. Um, so you can really up, do that for new, new hires. And then if you have training to upscale your people, you can get training from different content providers and, put that in the platform as well. Um, so that's part of the learning and enablement. And then, you know, a lot of organizations, especially the bigger ones, have a, a really good mentoring program as well. Uh, but mentoring 
is obviously a way to build your leadership pipeline, you know, build your DEI, uh, which is your diversity um, initiatives in, in your organizations. Uh, and this is a software to help manage your programs at scale. So if you have mentoring programs in 50 locations, you know, uh, companies like Enterprise, Rent-A-Car, Deloitte, uh, Caterpillar, user software to do that. Um, so those are some of the things we do in, in our platform. So it's really about, you know, getting people to work together, to grow them in their careers, in their job, give them a sense of purpose, um, and then recognize them. Uh, we have a rewards and recognition module as well. So it's really to build this, what I call a highly engaged, high-performance uh, organization. So that's basically what our platform does. You know, so it's really moving beyond just doing your day-to-day um, you know, get your work done type of thing, but really aligning them together and giving them a sense of, uh, you know, purpose and and recognize them for what to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, I'll just tell our listeners one more time. For those of you who are out walking, jogging, and driving, oh, don't text and drive. The uh, website is engagedly.com. For everybody else, check out our website. Look at the description for this episode. and You'll find the link right there. And check it out for yourself. It could be exactly what you need to help make your business a success. And with that, Sri Chalapa, thank you so much for being with us today. It has been an honor and believe me, an education. Thanks a lot, Adam. It was a pleasure. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.